This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello, everybody. My name is Jude Seymour. I'm a writer, editor at One Foot Down. I am joined tonight by two wonderful gentlemen. Uh, first and foremost, Brendan uh, from our own site, One Foot Down, and also Greg from UHND. Uh, good evening, gentlemen. Good evening, Jude. I regret to uh, inform you that uh, tomorrow is the last day of Honda Days, so make sure you, uh, you get out there and celebrate the season. Uh, I... I own one. I own uh, uh, two Hondas, so I think I think I'm I'm uh, I'm all stocked up on Honda days. I, I'm uh, I don't need any more Hondas. How about you, Greg? I, I, Hondas? I'm also a, the proud owner of a Honda Pilot. That yeah, we, yeah, uh, Pilot. All right. Yeah, we uh, we made the purchase last year when we found out the third one was coming. It was like the first thing we did actually, because uh, I had another Honda. I had a Honda Accord, and that wasn't going to work. So. All right, cool. Yeah, well, I just want to—I want to tell you that one of my New Year's resolutions was to not stay up past ten thirty. And uh, congratulations, guys! You helped me—you helped me break one already. It's uh, January second. Doing yeah, great. Stay two. Doing great. So, yeah. Uh, anyways, there's a there was a lot of uh, Notre Dame stuff that was happening, even though we are, I guess, technically now into the off season. And so I felt the need to pod. And so I'm, I'm glad you guys were joining me tonight. Um, the news of the day was Cole Komet, our tie, a junior tight end, announcing that he is going to forego his senior season and, and put his name in for the NFL draft. Uh, word is that he got a second round grade from the NFL draft advisory committee. And uh, he's also been identified as the number one tight end available, uh, depending on who you who you read. I think it was uh, I think maybe it was Dane Brugler from The Athletic who I, I who I read. So, uh, Greg, I just want to start with you. What are your immediate thoughts about uh, Komet's decision? Uh, well, look, he's going to if he if he's going to get a second round grade, and if he's going to be the first tight end pick, which I saw I saw Scott Kennedy talking about it too. Um, although I know he's pretty like pro Notre Dame players, I guess he he has a he feels a lot very highly about players in the past. Um, but I think, you know, if he's going to be the first tight end out and he's going to be a second round pick um, with the outside chance of, you know, making it into the first round, I mean, it's a sound decision, right? I mean, it, why, why wait if you feel like you're ready to go physically and, you know, all that's left is basically a legacy for the school you play for and, you know, can't really rightly ask someone to forego 
uh, all the money that you can make right now. I think that was the correct answer, but I also think that you have kind of another feeling about this that I'd like you to expand on. And that's from, <laughs> from a purely selfish fan perspective. I think we need to hear that too. Well, so it's just like, it, it's, it's difficult to Notre Dame wants to like take the next step in the program. Right. So they're 33 and six in the last three years. And you know, they just went 11 and two. And now it's like you want to get to the playoffs again. You want to win a playoff game um, or New Year's Six Bowl or whatever. It's hard to take that next step when guys like Cole Komet are leaving early. Um, you just it, – it's hard to, to do that. You know, it's not like – I mean, I'm not totally concerned about the tight end position. But, look, if he comes back next year, he'd be playing to be a first-round pick. And they could have had a first round pick on the team and now they don't. It's not good. <laughs> it doesn't help the cause. And Notre Dame isn't like uh they're not like the the teams they're um competing against where, you know, like like Clemson, for example, like they're gonna have multiple first round picks on the field next year when we play them. And you know. Notre Dame, just like off the top of my head, you know, maybe potential wise, they've got some guys that could reach that, but you know, not just not sure things like commit would have been, let's just put it like that. That's fair. Brandon, a hundred percent of the returning production at quarterback returning, obviously with uh, Ian book and, and Phil Jerkovic, I, I think Ian book definitely and Phil Jerkovic probably coming back. Um, but Pete Sampson tweeted today that 32.4% of the receptions are coming back. And in fact, Tommy Tremble is now the leading receiver returning with 14 receptions. How does that make you feel? Oh, it doesn't make me feel great. Um, (laughs) I mean, one of the nice, the biggest winner in the Cole Komet news is Tommy Tremble. Uh, All he does, I guess, is score touchdowns uh, with, you know, about 40% of his catches going for touchdowns, but um, you know, it's, it's Chase Claypool and it's, it's Chris Fink going and then um, Cole Komet. And that's, you know, 66 or 68% of your reception production leaving exiting out the door. And the sad thing for me about Cole Komet is it never felt like we really got the opportunity to see what he really could be. Uh, you know, he was injured at the beginning of the, the season this year. And, um, yeah, it just never felt like we were able to really scratch the surface of what we really had in Cole Komet. At times, it felt like he was completely unstoppable. In that Georgia game, it was um, one of the more dominant performances in a, in a big game by a skilled position player from a Notre Dame, um, you know, a Notre Dame guy. And to to piggyback what off uh, Greg was saying, my concern is in order for Notre Dame to take the next step, you almost assuredly need a skill position player, like a top 10 draft skill position player on your roster. Every national championship, not never mind just playoff winning team, but every national championship winning team of the last decade, so from the 2010s, every one of them but the 2015 Alabama Crimson Tide had a top 10 skill position player that contributed significantly on their team. And that 2015 team that didn't, it had Kelvin Ridley who went 26 
as a in the 2018 draft. And oh, by the way, Heisman winner that season, Derrick Henry. So I feel a lot worse today than I did yesterday um, with the news that Cole Komet's gone. Hey, Greg, give us a quick scouting report. If you are, I know that you're not an NFL talent evaluator, but if what what is Komet going to have on tape that is going to be both positive and, and negative when people start looking at him before the combine? Well, I mean, on the positive is the size for one. I mean, he's huge. He's like, what, 6'7", six, 6'6". Six, yeah. six. Um, he's... He has really like he has long arms. He has really strong hands. Like I don't remember him, you know, dropping passes. Really, I mean, look, it. His best game was against Georgia, so that's a good best game, right? I mean, I feel like that game probably is the is the best thing that he's got going for him. Um, he's not like the fastest. Like he's not very twitchy. Like I don't think of him as like. Like, I feel like Tyler Eifert was more of an athlete than um, Cole Komet is. I mean, Cole Komet to me is more like, like Kyle. Um, like, neither of those guys are like twitchy athletes. Um, but it's like, you kind of get this sense, like, you could throw it up to them and they'll come down with it. Although, like, I don't remember Komet really being used in a jump ball situation. Um, could probably be a better blocker. Um, I don't know if that's more of like an ability thing or like an effort thing, but he, you know, he's kind of hit or miss there. Um, there are times like I kind of thought Tremble was was more aggressive than him. At least um, he might have a better, like a brighter future there. Um, I, I just want to like because what Brennan said kind of hit it for me about about reaching his potential. I I kind of feel like. Like, imagine how we feel about Claypool right now. Like, if he had left. I feel like Cole Komet had a very, like, Claypool 2018-type season. Yeah. And and it was just super gratifying to see Chase, like, get to that point where it's like, oh, this is exactly what he could have been. And it's super gratifying to see him reach that place. And because we're not going to get to see Cole reach that place at Notre Dame— it's there's like an empty feeling it's like we didn't get to see it because you know like he has so much and he didn't realize it at Notre Dame and so while like you know you can't fault any college player for going pro and trying to you know make their money right like it's there. It's it's they have the ability to do it, so they should do it, right? They're playing for free. They chose the university that we wanted them to choose, right? Like they 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 could have gone anywhere, and he came to Notre Dame, and we should be grateful for that. But it's just like you just want to you just want to see them like reach that potential. Yeah, and that's uh, that's what it is. Like that that to me like signifies the whole thing. Like I just I just there's like an empty feeling there. Like we just didn't get to see it. There are nine tight ends that have been drafted in the first round since the 2010s. Five of them have gone to, or four of them, four of the nine have either gone to the Detroit Lions or the Cincinnati Bengals. And the Detroit Lions used one of their first round picks last year with TJ Hawkinson. And Cincinnati almost assuredly would have wasted and squandered a top 10 pick next year to give Joe Burrows more, uh, (laughs) more weapons and drafted their second Notre Dame tight end. And, you know, six years 
with a top 10 pick for him. But yeah, you can't fault a guy for, you know, getting, getting paid, especially with the, his injury history. Um, so I guess I'll be curious to hear if Brian Kelly makes any kind of comments. Um, you know, he famously had said that the Sean Kaiser was not ready and caught a lot of a flack for that. Um, I think he also kind of vocally, uh, shook his head at the Troy Nicholas decision to leave early. And I wonder if there's any part of him that disagrees with, with Cole Komet's decision, because, um, I hear what you're saying, Greg, about this, this sort of being feeling parallel to the 2018 Cole, uh, Chase Claypool season in that, um, it would have been great to see one more season of him just being, uh, you know, way more dominant. Like we had the, we had the, the appetizer this year and I was looking for the, for the main entree, but, um, um, do you think Brian Kelly has learned his lesson about uh, making comments about former players that leave early? Or do you think that you'll get some sort of uh, unfiltered uh, Kelly take about uh, either Komet or maybe even a Tony Jones? Can you spot the lie in either one of his assessments? <laughs> no. Well, see, that's that's the thing, right? It's nobody likes to hear it, but it seemed like it, it really came true, right? I mean, both of them. I mean, Troy Nicholas is an afterthought in the NFL, and Deshaun Kaiser sure wasn't ready. Um, and I think that he probably would have done well for himself to to spend another year in, in college for that 2017 season. But, you know, he probably keeps his mouth shut because this is Brian Kelly 2.0 would be my guess. I also think it, he probably feels pretty good about the position overall. And plus, I, I this one is a little bit like I, I, I kind of have a sense that like Cole Komet will, will probably go like early in the second, you know. So it's like for me, Kelly probably is a little bit more understanding. Like he probably feels like Komet is more ready to go pro than say like Troy Nicholas was. Mm-hmm. Like I don't think like when Troy Nicholas went out, I was thinking he he's going to not make it like he's not going to be in the league. And so when he got drafted in the second round, I was kind of like surprised. Like, wow. I, I thought he'd go later. Um, but then he did not make it in the league as, as far as I know. I don't, I don't think he's in a, on no. a roster anymore. So like, like when that happened, I was like, wait, what? Like, I didn't even know he was considering it. So with Cole, it's more like he's probably going to make it. So if he wants to go, he can go. So I don't I don't think like for him like for Kelly there's probably he 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 probably has some thought of you know you could have been like a Eifert like you could have gone in the late early 20s or the late teens or something but if you don't want to take the chance then you know that's understandable he probably is disappointed but it's not like the anger regarding like Troy Nicholas for example I saw a couple people speculating that um, the shot he took to Cole Komet, the shot he took to his knee in the in the Camping World Bowl, might have caused him to to hesitate. I mean, do you do you buy into that theory, or do you think he had already made up his mind before the bowl game, Greg? Well, I already I already talked to you about how I felt he played in the game. Right. Um, so expand on this for our audience. Well, I just like he just didn't, you know, he. He was not blocking with the fervor that you would want to see um, from a tight end or just anyone out there. Just 
in a vacuum. Like there was a lot of missed blocks, not a poor effort, um, you know, not really throwing his body around. I mean, it's like juxtaposed with, with Chase Claypool and Alohi Gilman, like running down on punts. I mean, <laughs> like those guys are going to the NFL too, and they're on punt team, and they're on, uh, and they're on uh, kickoff team, and they're doing this whole thing, and so, like, it, that's the juxtaposition there. On the other hand, he could have just not played in the game, and it is helpful to you know the offense to have him out there at all. So there's that. I'm not trying to kill him, but I think sure. there was something in his mind. Like, you know, I'm not going I'm, to, I'm, I'm holding a little bit back here. Right. So I, I want to keep rolling with you here for a second. Um, Tony okay. Jones Jr. announced that he's going to uh, forego a, a, a fifth year and, and uh, pursue an NFL draft. I, um, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I just, there, there wasn't much of a market for Josh Adams. <laughs> And I just I don't know that there's there's a need in uh, the league for a for us. There is a there there are thud backs. Um, there are slower guys, but I, I don't know that Tony Jones Jr. brings necessarily a skill set that's needed by any NFL people. Am I off the mark here, or is is it you know would a fifth year at either Notre Dame or another school not have even helped him improve his draft stock? It's all about the combine. Is that is that is that a fair assessment? I think so for him. I mean, to me, if he does, if he he might just be done with being in college, mm-hmm. he he might just not want to do that anymore. And like he is not, he hasn't really made it through a full season himself. He keeps getting beat up. So you know, I'll just I'll just go pro or try to go pro. And if that doesn't work out, then I'll move on with my life in some other way instead of taking a bunch of more punishment in college when that's not, it's not helping my draft stock. You know, it's not helping me, you know, I am what I am. It's like, he had a good quote about it. He was like, if it's just about the 40 time, then I should just buck up. Like that's all it is. People can run fast. And if I can, then if I can't, there's no way. Like he's gonna, he can go from like a four seven to a four five. That's not how it's gonna work for him. So, I, I understand it. I wish he was coming back just because I I want the running back room to have that leadership, and I think that he's a good complement for, you know, I don't want to. I know you, you don't really feel like Chris Tyree's gonna have a huge role in that. I'm just, I'm just, I'm, I'm a guy who's skeptical about Brian Kelly using freshmen. He's the best of. And that, so not everybody on this podcast is. <laughs> not everybody is, namely the two of us. And that's I'm feeling attacked. I'm feeling ganged up on it. No, I, I don't want to go down the, the Chris Tyree thing <laughs> too much. Well, we don't have to do that again. But it's 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 that. Did we lose you, Greg? And so, you know, to me. It's just like that. You you want that on the you want that on the roster. So Brendan, thoughts about Tony Jones Jr. Uh, foregoing a fifth season? I, I kind of agree with Greg's assessment, which is like you know it's okay to be done with college. Uh, you know you've done it for a while. So 
Yeah, I mean, we know what Tony Jones was going to give us next year. Um, Craig, I, you know, Craig touched on it pretty well with the leadership. <laughs> um, he was never going to be a burner. Uh, I'm sort of interested to see what else we have in that room. I'm interested to see what Jameer Smith and Sebo Flemister. I'm very interested to see um, Chris Tyree. Um, there's there's pieces there that I don't think that Tony Jones is demonstratively better at any given thing. Um, and I thank him for his for the. I'll always have the USC game, um, and I thank him all of the all of all of the thanks for the 2019 USC game that he gave us. I was pretty psyched about uh, him getting caught at the what 17 yard line and stiff arming a guy in, into the end zone. I I, I kind of like that was a nice capper to his career. So oh yeah, 15 yards stiff arm uh, yeah. was a it was an absolute thing of beauty. Big fan. And you know what? There's something to be said for going out on that note. Oh, God, yes. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. it's like it's, you're not doing better than that. Like, you're not doing better than an 84-yard run, and then you <laughs> stiff arm a guy for 15 yards. When literally everyone in the press box thought you were going to get run down, which you sort of did. But yeah, I did. Yeah. You know, he did. And look, I, I said it on the pod with Michael, like, it's the most like one of the most stunning things I've seen an Notre Dame player do. Like I, there's no way I even thought that was possible. Yeah, it, 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 for the people who don't listen to the Untitled Notre Dame USC podcast, which you should tell tell the listeners about the four scenarios because I thought they were actually hilarious. Uh, three of those sound completely far fetched, and the 84 yard obviously would be the would be the fourth scenario. So t- so run us through those real quick. So I said if there if you told me there were four things were going to happen in the game. Uh, what would they be? What was what was the Ian book was going to like catch a touchdown? Yeah, uh, Kyle Hamilton. Kyle Hamilton throw a touchdown. Throw one. Yeah, yeah. What was the third one? Uh, the, the third one was like involved the the kicker, the punter yeah. doing something. Oh no, no, it was Asmar Bilal running for a touchdown. That's like, right, just Asmar as running back. That's right. Yeah, and and if you'd have told me those three options. Or Tony Jones running for 84-yard touchdown, I would have picked the other three. <laughs> I mean, it's like it's like running down the sideline, and I'm like, and and you should at my house, I was holding the baby, and and I'm just like, oh, 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 oh. And it's like, what is going on? There's no one around. And the linebacker's chasing him and he's not catching him. And it's like, okay, I, I guess this is a thing that's gonna happen. And and when he got to him at the 15, I just knew, like, there's no way this guy's bringing him down. There's just not happening. I thought I mean, maybe it's just, push him out of bounds, but he didn't yeah, even thought, really get – he didn't get any good leverage. It was just amazing. Well, Tony Jones I mean, didn't so, make a play for the sideline. He, he knew that he wasn't going to get pushed out of bounds, and he had his yeah. hand directly on that face, and it was just – it was beautiful. It was great. It was hey, great. Hey, dude, can, can, we, can, we, uh, can we stick on the running back room? Because I course, actually yeah. – I have, um, I'm wondering what you guys think of like the Jameer Smith, uh, Sebo Flemister situation. Yeah. Yeah. The reason I'm asking is because I feel like a lot of people like Sebo and I like Sebo. It's not like I don't, but I, I don't recall him. Aside from the run against Virginia, where he just kind of like ran through a couple people, like some arm tackles for a touchdown, which was impressive, not taking it away from him. 
But I don't remember, like, he had 48 carries this year, more than Jameer Smith, more than, I think, Jafar even. Yep. And he averaged, like, 3.4 a carry, 3.4 or 3.7. It's just like, I don't, I don't know where people get so excited about him. Jude, what was your favorite Sebo Flemister run of more than 14 yards this season? (laughs) (laughs) To be honest with you, I'm shocked he got to 14. He just seemed like a guy who was perpetually setting up second and third and one. It was very Armando Allen 2008, right? Where it was just like, just get up, tripped up. Yeah. a 14. Like 20-yard run didn't exist to greg's point i track um broken slash missed tackles and uh jameer smith is a thumper i mean he had limited opportunity um but he uh would shake guys off in a way that flemister does not so i I always like that about him i assumed i mean the the scuttlebutt was that flemister was showing more in the practice than than smith was um sometimes I, I think that, that we get in these situations where a guy has an injury that's not enough to keep him out of a game, but is kind of persistent and nagging, and we don't hear about it until afterwards. And my go-to example for this was like Tony Jones saying, yeah, in 2017, I was basically like hobbled <laughs> for the whole season. And, you know, like it, it got, it would get better and then it would get worse. And, you know, it, it, and it sort of kind of explained why Tony Jones Jr. wasn't a thing. You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. um, I, I don't I don't know. I'm 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 kind of at a loss. I, I, I definitely got the sense that that Flemister had passed him on the depth chart um, and that 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 Kelly and Long had that believed in him more than they believed in Smith. But I, I didn't I wasn't 100 percent sure why that was. He had a, he he hurt his hand, right? It was his, it wasn't his dominant hand, but he hurt his hand. And this is a um, this well, did is he a also team. have a sprained sprained foot? Yeah, he was definitely he was he was definitely nicked up. He was in, going into the game against uh, Louisville. He uh, hurt his hand and then he sprained his foot after that game, and he didn't even play against yeah. uh, New Mexico and Georgia. Right. So um, yeah, and, and it, especially with a hand injury, and Kelly's um, rightfully so. Um, his his approach to turnovers. A running back hadn't fumbled right since 2016 or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I maybe maybe that factored into it. I'm just more like intrigued by because you know obviously we all spend a fair amount of time on Twitter, and <laughs> and the conversation around Sibo is completely like against what the performance on the field is like people are always like clamoring to see him and to me it's like that reaction is based for someone like uh like dexter in 2016 where like every time he got the ball it was like 10 yards or 15 yards and it's like I want to see more of that guy. Like, what about the guy who's always running for like 15 yards when he gets the ball? How about that? Right. Sebo is like, like I showed you that clip um, where I was showing you how Komet wasn't blocking very well. And, and on the play, like Sebo could just cut up and get some yards, but instead he runs like right into the corner. 
<laughs> and he gets stood up. And I'm like, what is he doing? And I don't, he doesn't make a move. He doesn't try to spin. He just runs into him and he gets stoned. And it's like a two yard game. And I'm like, I don't, I don't get it. <laughs> right. And that's, that's one of the things I like about Jameer is it seems like he is a one cut back. Who's willing to at least make that cut. Right. Um, Sibo just seems, yeah, a little, uh, Straight into a wall. I mean, my my recollection of watching Jameer Smith on the on the replays was he 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 was always a guy that got hit one or two yards past the line, but always managed to make it into three, four, and five yards. Yeah, you know what I mean? it just uh, Flumbuster seems like he just, he just falls down, like like kind of like what Greg was saying. Um, so yeah, I I I I don't get it, and I think that you know um, there will be a lot of uh, focus next year on Chris Tyree and, and deservedly so. But I think that, you know, some of the interesting things is, is getting a sense after spring of where these guys, um, sit with, you know, and the thing I loved about Jameer Smith was he had a, he had a scholarship offer from every Ivy league school, if I recall correctly. Um, so, you know, he definitely can make it at our name. It's just, um, it's not like I, I doubt that he's struggling academically or, you know, I don't know if there's a homesickness thing. So I'm not going to speculate about whether or not he would he would leave. But at some point, you got to look around the room and say, where's my opportunity? You know, and if, if the, the you know, maybe maybe it's a blank slate for the new OC and they come in and they say, look, you might have been in Chip Long's doghouse. But, you know, I, I have no I have no memory of you. I have no ex- experience with you. So show me what you got, you know, and for some guys are stuck in kind of a purgatory that's that's great that's a it's a welcomed opportunity so maybe this is um you know jameer smith's big chance a hot take i don't think and i agree with the the idea that um the running back position is going to be one of those uh talking points going into the season but that's i don't even really care who plays running back next year because i think the most important position and area of growth that this team needs to have going into 2020 is the offensive line. And I don't even think that it's a, it, I think that whether or not it's Sebo Flemister or Jameer Smith isn't going to matter nearly as much as whether or not this offensive line can take considerable steps forward um, on this season and even 2018. I think they need to somehow get back to, uh, form of 2017 and maybe maybe out there there could be a way <laughs> well you just led me into my next next topic nicely and that's obviously that um there was a little bit of nfl news that seemed pertinent to notre dame fans which was that after two seasons with the chicago bears harry Heestan, who uh coached at notre dame from 2012 to 2017 was relieved of his duties parting of ways whatever you want to call it um, immediately the reaction was, uh, you know, drive, Brian Kelly should drive to Chicago and give Harry, he whatever he wants. There was a local, uh, television reporter who noted that Harry's family still lives in South Bend. Um, I think that, you know, fired people up a lot. Um, Greg, let's start with you. What do you think about the likelihood that, that there is a mutual interest between Harry Heastan and Brian Kelly about a, a reunion here. And that's that they, that that's pursued. I'm, 
I don't recall specifically the exact circumstances behind him leaving in the first place. Um, I would think that Kelly is at least interested. Just, I mean, he's, he was a good coach, right? Like he did a really good job and he wanted to move on. He wanted to do something different. The problem is the, the most, the thing that sticks out the most is he didn't like the recruiting aspect. And look, this is college football. You need to be really into it. And you, and you made the point when we were talking about it online. What, Notre Dame is trying to get to the point where they have just a bunch of dog recruiters on the staff. And so far, Jeff Quinn, for whatever anyone wants to say about him, is a dog recruiter. He's got Blake Fisher. He got Carmody lined up, who's a top 150 player. Um, who's the other guy? He got uh, the top uh, top 100. His name is Tosh Baker. He got mm-hmm. Tosh Baker lined up. Uh, he's got the 2021 class, has a lot of good prospects that Notre Dame is in on right now with Blake Fisher. Um, he's a top 100 player, and there's a, there's a couple other top 100 players. Like, you can't, you can't just throw that away. You can't just... And, and pretend that it doesn't matter because it absolutely matters. And I think for Kelly, he has to figure out a way to make it work with, with Quinn, who he knows is the recruiter. He knows he can get the players that he wants. He needs to figure out a way to, to get him the coach and get the, the offensive line performing the way he needs. I, I, don't, I, don't, I want it to be different. Like I love the idea of D-Stand. I loved his offensive lines, but it just <laughs> – the fact of the matter is he doesn't do want to do the one thing that is super important in college football. Brendan, uh, what do you think the likelihood is that, that Brian Kelly would move his longtime friend and, and longtime coaching assistant Jeff Quinn to, to another position to accommodate he stand? Does that, does that feel likely to you? Yeah, absolutely. I, I could I, – there's absolutely a path for – uh, the monkey, one of the fingers on the monkey paws to close <laughs> and for Jeff Quinn to be named co-offensive coordinator with one Tommy Reese. Um, and for Harry, he stand to be told, look, Harry, you can just, we will bring you in Blake Fisher, Greg Crippen, Garrett Dillinger, Rocco Spindler, and Landon Treadwell in that 2021 class finishing maybe the greatest offensive line hall in college football history you coach them and uh, we'll, we'll do the recruiting for you, which is sort of how Brian Kelly approached it with um, uh, other coordinators by when he brought in uh, um, for uh, when he brought in Terry Joseph in order to help shore up Todd Light's recruiting. Um, he, he could do a similar thing where he brings in a, a coordinator um, you know, he brings in Harry just to sort of coach the players. Uh, I think that that's definitely something he would do. I, I want to push back on that a little bit because I think Greg's point is well taken, which is you've had Brian Kelly maybe a week and a half now, two weeks ago, saying for the first time that he believes that Notre Dame could be a top five uh, school in terms of recruiting. Um, and to do that, you need more guys like Chip Long who are road warriors and kind of aggressive. I mean, can you continue to play? 
with one arm tied behind your back just to accommodate a guy. And, 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 and I don't think anyone, look, the accolades speak for themselves. The, the, the people that matriculated out of Notre Dame who were great offensive linemen continue to be great offensive linemen in the NFL who played under Harry Heastan. And I, I doubt that you could uh, have somebody say a bad word about him that, you know, played for him. But at the same time, um, you know, can you, can you, can you do that? Can you say, you know what, Harry, we, we get that you don't like recruiting. So, uh, we're going to put the onus more on, uh, Jeff Quinn or Tommy Reese to close deals. Uh, can, is, is that fair? I, I, I don't, I don't know if it's fair or not, but what I do know is that three quarters of the all pros in the NFL are Harry. He players. I know that um, Quentin Nelson is far and away the best guard in the NFL. I read a tweet today saying that the difference between uh, Quentin Nelson, the number one guard, and the number two guard in the NFL is more disparaging than any other difference between the one and two player in the NFL. I know Mike McGlinchey is a fantastic tackle. I know Ronnie Stanley didn't give up a sack this year and put in an all-time season. I know Zach Martin is a perennial pro bowler. And those are all directly Harry Heastan products. And I think that if Harry Heastan doesn't want to go on the recruiting trail and that Jeff Quinn does, Jeff Quinn can go on the recruiting trail and say, look, come here. We have players in the NFL playing at the highest, absolute highest level that all learned under this man. Um, I, I think that that's something that – you have to at least kick the tires on, if not do whatever you can to bring he stand back because the production, the, the half of what Quinn's able to do, you have to assume is the lineage of the Notre Dame uh, NFL acumen. And that's, that's Harry. He right? So Greg, l- let me ask you, uh, you know, we're not in there. We're not in the practices. We're not in the rooms or anything like that, but just merely looking at it from the way that the offensive line performed this year, how much do you put on, how much do you assign credit or blame to, to Jeff Quinn based on what happened with the offensive line this year? Yeah. So this is the problem that with, with, I guess the, the argument of like, you want to bring in the recruit, like you want to have the recruiter and Quinn is that like, I am not, I did not play on the offensive line. So (laughs) I don't know the technical aspects. What I do know is that when you watch a play, you think this looks sloppy. It just looks sloppy. Like that you're not getting to the blocks. You're not, you're not reaching. Like I was, (laughs) we do so much offline. I feel like every time I'm referencing something, I DM'd you, but like, (laughs) we're just, I'm watching a play that was one play where it was uh, it was third and two against Iowa State. They run book on the quarterback uh, quarterback kind of sweep, like quarterback power basically. And it's basically a simple play. You need Josh Lug and Trevor Rulin to double team the tackle. Josh Lug scrapes to the backer. Jafar Armstrong leads up. Cole Komet blocks out. The hole should be there. The play is there. It's a good call against the defense. It should be an easy first down. They don't get to the backer. They don't scrape. They don't double team. And Ian Book gets stopped for no gain. And they have to punt. And it's like, that's simple. And it's like, I understand Josh Lug is a backup. And Trevor Ruland is a backup. Although, like, it's not Trevor Ruland's play. It's Lug's play. 
it's simple. Like I know that that's supposed to happen. I've played enough football to understand what a double team and a, and a combo block looks like. And that's not like, it happens all the time. Like, like Aaron Banks in the first game, they have a screen set up and he's looking at the back while he's <laughs> oh, not blocking the guy. Like, oh my God. You just everyone saw it. Really unpleasant memory. I forgot all about that. Oh yeah. My, my eyes twitching. Yeah. <laughs> and we're, and we're talking about, and we're talking about, um, like we always say, like, why can't they run screens? They can't run screens because they're sloppy. Because right. they don't, they're not very, they're just not good at it. They're not, they're not well coached in it. Like they're just not well versed. And it, you just can't, you can't get away from it. And, you know, it, they've had some good games, right? They have. It's not like they haven't. In 2018, they had a bunch of good games. Like they destroyed Stanford. They ran over all of USC this year. And, but it's like you just you, you got to be able to do better, and 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 I feel like I mean their false starts are all over the place. I don't understand. I don't like they're doing the clap. I don't know what that means. Just get them to not. Just don't jump anymore. That's simple. <laughs> like, <I don't, laughs> like the hardest thing, like the the most important thing to teach and cause coaching is like accountability. They keep jumping off sides. Like that's not accountable. Like stop doing that. Sure. And so like there is a level that they're not playing at that needs to play at. And it's like that's the it's like a big problem. <laughs> like who like and for Brian Kelly, it's like, what do you have more faith in? Do you have more faith that Jeff Quinn can do the job with the offensive line? Or do you have more faith that Harry Heastan can come in and Jeff Quinn can do the recruiting for him? Like which one is it? Or do you need to get someone else? But it can't it can't stay the way it is. Because the offensive line is not performing at the level that they need to do to make the next step. Yeah, I, I think that there's an interesting um, puzzle that's being put together here um, with the vacancy in the offensive coordinator um, and then the C-stand news. And then also on the other side of the ball, um, what was long rumored and then, and then actually openly talked about that Todd Light was going to be leaving the program. Um, this seems like an amicable thing. It sounds like he had a desire to be closer to his family who was still in California and I guess didn't make, didn't make the, the sojourn to, uh, to South Bend to, to be with him. So, um, Todd lights no longer going to be with the program as the DB's coach. There was some grousing, um, from people in the know who are not us, um, about his lack of interest in, in recruiting or his, his kind of his whiffs on recruiting. Um, some of which has been delineated on this podcast and others. Um, so I just, you know, give me a, a, an overview here. What do you think happens with, um, with the, with the light position? Does that get absorbed? Does, do somebody move to a different position? Greg, let's start with you. Um, I couldn't say honestly. Like I, I, I saw. Brandy, JU. let's start with you. <laughs> no, I do. <laughs> no, Brandon, go ahead. I, I, no, I, I do have. Uh, you have to say about it. I mean, there's a couple of different routes they could go. Like you give Terry Joseph the entire secondary. I, I don't think that that necessarily would be a, a terrible idea. And what they could do is. Um, Nick Lazinski, did you? I don't know if you read Pete Sampson's article, Spring Write Up about. Nick? I did. I know, um, I know what you're talking 
Yeah, he's a graduate assistant, and he works with um, Clark Lee with the linebackers, and I would not mind at all. And he's a DB. He works with DBs as well. I mean, you could put him with the corners. You could put him with the safeties, and then Terry Joseph could go wherever. But if you want to give um, Lazinski the linebackers and let Clark Lee to focus entirely on the defense, I would not mind that at all. Um, by all accounts, and Pete Sampson's wonderful article from this April – uh, for those of you with an athletic, uh, you signed up for that uh, $10 athletic. Uh, no, I'm just. Um, but uh, yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't mind them. Not as I wouldn't mind them going that uh, that particular way if they wanted to do that, or if they wanted to go outside and and hire someone. Um, but yeah, if they if they wanted to give Terry Joseph the the entire secondary and let um, Lazinski take the linebackers, I would I would not be opposed to that at all. Let me ask you a, a dummy question because I actually don't know the answer. Does there need to be an equal number of staff on offense and defense, or or is it just you have ten guys and you can delineate? If you want six on offense and four on defense, you can do it that way. Does anybody know? I believe, I, I believe that's right. I don't okay. think. Yeah, I don't think you can. I don't think you're constrained um, by by. So, uh, so let me. Let me throw out a modest proposal. Clark Lee does everything on the defense, and then we just hire a bunch of offensive, the, the greatest offensive minds and coming out of the NFL and, and college ranks and stuff like that. What do you guys think about that? That sounds uh, very uh, Big 12. <laughs> I, I had a, um, a proposal on Twitter that I think I'll just throw it out there for you guys. Yeah, um, go for it. I think, I think you could put Terry Joseph on the corners and Kyle – Mm. Our beloved Kyle could coach the safeties and then oh. there could be like, so, and, and I is, was wondering, is this an end around for playing, pay, paying players? Is, is that how, well, what you you're guys, thinking? Well, you guys were, um, you guys are the historians. Has anyone ever won the Heisman and the Broyles award in the same season? Does <laughs> <laughs> that ever no. happen? Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I, we'd have to go back to the, uh, to the, uh, Curly Lambo days to to be sure, but I I, I don't that believe that would be the yeah Curly Lambo would be uh, maybe George uh, Hollis Georgetown. right yeah mm. that, there's one um, Red shoot, Grange yep uh, that did uh, did Red Grange uh, did he did he play a coach as well I I don't know it just feels like the kind of guy who would right so. yeah he played uh, both ways probably kicked punted did it all yeah galloping ghost I mean, um that's a, that's a lot for uh for a uh, for a sophomore in uh, college with a full course load but you know if anyone can do it maybe tom landry was a defensive back for the new york football giants while he was also the defensive coordinator this is the exact scenario i don't see a difference between tom landry and kyle hamilton except maybe tom landry wore more hats fancy hats but we can <laughs> fix that i i just don't i mean i just think just do it and then you don't need to hire like officially. You could you could have an extra coach. You could put him. You could put that coach on like offense. And so then I'm surprised Nick Saban hasn't tried it. You know, I think this feels like a very Nick Saban idea to to see if he can circumvent uh, coaching restrictions and also find a way to get you know players paid or something. So no, you know, Greg. Greg, you don't even have LeBron James for 18 months, and here you go trying to put a player as your head coach. What is? <laughs> It's just, it's, it's now in me. It's like, it's part of the, it's part of the lexicon out here in Los Angeles. <laughs> hey, I had an idea. Sure. Do you think, do you think, and it's, this one's actually realistic. Do you think that they would kick the tires on Kerry Cooks again? 
Yeah, absolutely. Kelly's always willing to bring back the boys. And then now he's at Texas Tech. So, like, he was at Oklahoma, and maybe he doesn't want to leave Oklahoma, but but now he's at Texas Tech. Probably rather be at Notre Dame. If someone gave me the chance to coach Kyle, I would take it. Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, it it felt like the same, uh, you know, the, the, the kind of people that were saying, why aren't we looking at Tony Alford for offensive coordinator? Or Mike Denbrock. Well, I think Mike Denbrock, that there's an answer there, right? Which is that there was a failure, but Tony Alford, I don't, I don't, if I, unless I've re- re- forgotten, I, I don't believe, I think he left on look, good terms. He, he took the Ohio State job, right? And he, and he also did a good job at his position, right? Yeah. He's a very good coach. Yes. And he was a, he was a good recruiter for his position. Poor recruiting coordinator, as I recall. Yeah. So. I, I don't know. I think there. Look, the one thing that I have is, have expressed is that even if it ultimately is Tommy Rees as the coordinator or co-coordinator, I hope that Kelly does a as it does a uh, a thorough uh, investigation of outside candidates because I, I I think that you know Brendan and I spent a lot of time uh, one day looking at candidates and there are a lot of guys with really good resumes that have Midwest ties. And I think would, would fit nicely at, at Notre Dame. Um, I, look, maybe they're, they're terrible in the interview or they they don't want to run the system that Kelly wants to run. And, and, you know, that, that stuff will kind of sort itself out. But, um, you know, I just, I think that you do yourself a disservice if you just say, okay, Reese is my guy. Um, and I'm not really going to look at anybody else. Agree. I am to- waiting. I, I am waiting to hear names. I, I do want to hear some names. I, I don't, it would be a bad idea. Like, just like you said, I, I, it would be a bad idea to just name Reese. You need to know what your options are. You need to look for other options. Yeah. Okay, good. Brennan disagree. Agree. No, I don't. I don't disagree at all. I'm not going to tie my cart to to. I want the best possible candidate, um, and I want something because I think that this season, the 2020 season, is a very important season for Notre Dame football. Um, and I uh, I want somebody who's going to come in and be Clemson. So whoever gives us the best opportunity and chance to do that, I am all for. Now. I have admittedly not gotten a chance to look into um, the last piece of news that I'd like to talk about tonight, which is that the Notre Dame picked up another graduate transfer. Uh, we've, I think we've previously talked about Isaiah Pryor coming over from uh, from Ohio State, and he's a safety, if I recall correctly. Um, yesterday, it was announced that wide receiver Ben Skoranek, I'm hoping yep. I'm saying that right. No, I nailed it. Okay. Uh, from Northwestern is uh, going to play his final season with Notre Dame. He was a team captain at Northwestern, but he was also uh, he uh, suffered a um, I guess a, a season-ending leg injury about uh, three games into to this this most recently completed season. So um, he's gotten he's caught 110 balls uh, in his Northwestern career, and now he's coming over to. It's a Notre Dame. Um, what, Brendan, let's start with you. Do you know anything about this, this guy at all? Yeah, I know that um, he's big. Uh, he caught the, he caught the, like a spectacular game winning catch against uh, Northwestern 
or for Northwestern against Iowa in 2018, like a diving catch in the end zone that put Northwestern in the, the Big Ten title game, right, for the honor to lose to, to Ohio State, as Big Ten West <laughs> teams are apt to do. Um, I, don't, I don't get it. It seems very, um, it seems very Freddie Canteen. Uh, mm. What was the Arizona State kid? Yeah, um, Cam Smith. Cam yeah, Smith. Cam Smith. It feels very similar to that. I understand from his perspective, um, you know, it's a big Northwestern is going to be absolutely atrocious this year. I'm pretty sure the stat exists out there that Joe Burrow in the bowl game against the college football playoff game threw seven touchdowns, right? Yeah, seven and ran for another, so eight total, yeah. Northwestern as a program in 2019 through six touchdowns. So Joe Burrow threw more <laughs> touchdowns than all of Northwestern <laughs> in 2019. So whoever <laughs> is on that ship and everyone is just exit. It's like rats fleeing from a sinking ship. So I can understand. And he's from Indiana though. I believe he grew up an Indiana fan. I, I, I believe I read and, uh, through some, some of course, uh, Tom Hammond stat that only Tom Hammond would care about. <laughs> he is uh, indirectly and um, long term related to Johnny Lujak, so there's that going for him oh as well. My God. Okay. Uh, but yeah, I mean, he's a he's a tall, lanky receiver. Um, high points, balls, uh, has pretty good catch radius, but I. Uh, I'm I'm not sure exactly what we need is for a a six four tall man who can catch footballs. I mean, he's a maybe he'll prove me wrong and he'll come out and he'll ha- he'll have a fantastic season for Notre Dame. But I I, I just have this feeling it's going to be very Freddie Canteen, um, Cameron Smith, right? Greg, are you as confused as uh, Brendan is about this this pickup? I have a quick question. When when does he arrive? I would assume he would arrive in the spring, right? He's a he's grad transferring, so right. let me. I think he said in his um in his announcement, right? I'll pull that up and look at it right now. I I, I didn't see that. I'm transferring for the spring semester. Yep, got it. So he'll be here for spring ball. That's what I'm reading. Yeah. Okay. So, so Notre Dame is losing Chase Claypool. Hmm. They're losing Chris Fink, mm-hmm. a captain and a you know a de facto captain. Sure. The incoming, you know, depth chart or whatever. You know, Braden Lindsay Jr., mm-hmm. Lawrence Keys Jr., um, Kevin Austin. Well, it's Javon McKinley coming back. He has not said that if he isn't coming back yet. Um, but he would be I, if he's competing for a spot. It's not Fink's spot. It's it would be the Claypool right. spot that then uh, McKinley would be going for. So right, right, right. So so there's there's McKinley. Um, you'll you'll see where I'm going with this in a second. Kevin Austin, so, so yeah. Kevin Austin, um, and then Jordan Johnson and a bunch of other underclassmen. Right. Sure. Sure. The fact that to me. This fits in the fact that he's a former captain. They okay. needed an adult in the wide receiver room. Mm, I like that. <laughs> and that's what this is, in my opinion. Yeah. Have you gotten an opportunity to watch film on this kid at all? Do you do you have any sense of how he plays? Or I, I've only seen clips. I mean, look, he has 110 catches sure. in, in the Big Ten 
And look, it, his team might stink 110 catches, 110 catches. Like, I don't, like, Freddie Canteen, he, you know. He didn't, didn't come have that. that. Yeah. He did not have that. And he wasn't the team captain. Cam sure. Smith, like, I think it's a little bit more like, like, Cam Smith was obviously in for a different role. Um, but I, I guess my thought is I don't, I don't suspect. I, I think he'll be like Cam Smith in that maybe he'll catch a handful of passes, but like he's not going to be the reason we're beating Clemson, um, at least for on-field contributions. But I think it's like we we need someone to be in that room who can show these guys this is how you prepare, this is how you go about your business. You know, he was a captain on a college football team. That's a pretty big deal. I think that's what this is. That makes sense. Uh, I also wondered what this said about the the scholarship situation. I think we, I think we as fans, especially those who follow recruiting, uh, tend to obsess a little bit uh, too much about the eighty five uh, man scholarship limit and sort of wonder how Notre Dame's going to get under it. Uh, this year doesn't seem to be as as big of a concern. Uh, obviously, uh, Mick Asaf and Colin Grunhard just got uh, scholarships awarded to them. Obviously, they're bringing in these uh, two guys, as we mentioned. Uh, anyone have a good sense of the the scholarship situation? Is there going to be? Is there going to be? I mean, is it possible that uh, this Javon McKinley thing is a two way street? Right, McKinley will will need to want to come back, and then Notre Dame will want to want to have him back. Right. So, is it possible that somebody gets squeezed in a way that um, that we don't see coming, or is this you know, or by time we get the natural attrition that we tend to get? Uh, for the spring semester anyways, then this is a, a non-event. Does anybody have any sense of that? They're not bringing in um, a grad transfer wide receiver if uh, they were going to have number issues. And they're also, I mean, Mick also said he's coming back for his fifth year. Uh, mm-hmm. We didn't, uh, didn't formally announce that. That's big news. Um, <laughs> and we didn't mention him in the running back discussion either. Which I, uh, um, But no, I, I, I don't think that... W- you, like you said, everybody wrings their hands and gets all up in arms about 85 scholarships. And by kickoff in September, um, usually we're at 84, right? Isn't that, mm-hmm. isn't that normally how it works? And then we can pass out a, a scholarship um, to, a, to a walk-on with a, a cool celebration at some point during the season. It always ends up working itself out. And I'm sure the staff has had exit interviews with all of the players after the bowl game, right? So at this point, I would imagine they've had their exit interviews. Have they? If they haven't, they've got to, it's got to be forthcoming. You know, I would assume that they would do, want to do that as soon as, as possible. You know, I, I don't know if they wait for the kids to get back from break or how that, how that situation works itself out. But, um, you know, my sense has always been that that's done almost immediately after the bowl game and and possibly maybe in the downtime. You know, the one thing that was interesting to me was I think a lot of us speculated that Ian Book was coming back for a fifth year because Brian Kelly had said something during the bowl game press conferences that said something like, you know, my offense is fully loaded for 2020 or words to that effect, basically, yeah. like it, it seemed like he'd already had that conversation with Ian and Ian, Ian had got him. To a point where Ian said, you know, I'm I, I'm going this direction. And Brian said, that's great. You know what I mean? So he didn't want to blow up Ian's spot. And I get and I get all that. But, um, you know, I, I don't think he sticks his neck out if he's uncertain about Ian's direction. 
I think at the end of our going into spring or going into the summer last year, whatever it was, I think they were at like 91 scholarships and they got down to, you know, 85, 84. Right. I don't think, I don't, I don't think they're near that right now. So I think they're maybe in the high eighties. And if that's the case, then it's not a problem. Yeah. Yeah. If there were, and then I don't, and I don't know for a fact that they're, they're still looking on the graduate transfer market. I don't know that they have any intention of, of adding to that, but if there were a position of need that maybe is out there and I don't know who's out there for the, for the transfer portal, is there a position that you could think of that would, would, uh, would benefit from having a, a graduate player? Quarterback, quarterback, cornerback, cornerback, cornerback. They said quarterback. Oh no, no, no. We need cornerbacks. Uh, <laughs> I, that, that's a, yeah, that's a mystery. Uh, cornerback, right? That's the one. That's right? what I was going to say. Yeah, yeah. That's what I was going to say. Cornerback. Okay. All right. I wanted yeah. that. I wanted that ahead of like any other position. Yeah, I mean Isaiah Pryor is fantastic because it does put a fantastic stopgap to give uh, our sweet baby boy um, a nice uh, playmate, uh, which I think, and I think we have Isaiah Pryor for two years, right? Yes, correct. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if if we could get a grand transfer cornerback with any sort of starting experience, that would be absolutely phenomenal to put uh, to put in the mix with uh, the Golden Mongoose. Uh, gentlemen, <laughs> <laughs> we are we are just about at an hour. Um, I'm going to take a quick break for a commercial that Josh will insert on our behalf, and then we will be back to talk a little bit about what we watched in the uh, playoffs. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, gents, uh, you probably watched the playoff games with as much interest as I did. Um, I saw one really fantastic game that was also kind of a little bit confusing from a from a referee perspective. And then one game that uh, just made me cackle pretty hard. So um, I guess my first question is Josh was kind of poo pooing the idea that we couldn't uh, that Notre Dame couldn't beat uh, Oklahoma. He seems to think Notre Dame would have been better than than Oklahoma, or maybe even given LSU a better of a game. I don't think anyone beats LSU, but um, if we uh, to play the what if game uh, and a, a potential matchup between Notre Dame and Oklahoma, do you feel like Notre Dame uh, could uh, win against LSU? No, against Oklahoma? Yes, absolutely. I think the Big Twelve is unequivocally the worst conference in sports. 
in well in sports in uh, college football right now. And I don't I don't I think that there's a lot of people who like to point towards the Pac-12's futility, uh, and rightfully so. The Pac-12 has been fairly futile uh, in the last few years, but um, I think a lot of people overlook just how bad the Big 12 has been. They're one in five presently in bowl games right now. Their lone win was Texas uh, beating uh, Utah in the Alamo Bowl. Other than that, it's been every year the Big Ten, the Big Twelve, just doesn't show up. And outside of Oklahoma, um, who's been Texas hasn't had a single season this decade in the 2010s. Texas hasn't had a single season in the 2010s where they had fewer than four losses. So who's the second best team in that conference? And every every conference needs to have at least two teams. And um, yeah, I don't I don't Notre Dame handles an Iowa State team that gave Oklahoma everything that it possibly had. Um, I don't think that it's a it's a question of whether or not Notre Dame could beat Oklahoma, but maybe by how much? <laughs> Like, what do you think? Are you, are you sipping this Kool Aid too? Because I, I do not believe Notre Dame could beat Oklahoma. You don't think they could? I mean, I, yeah, I think it's within the realm of possibility. But I just, I, 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 I don't know. I don't know what the odds makers put it on. But I, I just think Oklahoma would be favored, and I think there's a there's a lot there to to be worried about when you, when you're playing Oklahoma. So no, th- there's a lot to be worried about. I, I mean, look. We know that we know that Iowa State threw all over them, and they, we know that Iowa State didn't throw all over us. So, like, <laughs> I mean, there's, I, there's I, that. I warn people about playing the transitive game, though. It never really well, no, works out the way you think it will. It's just like that's a common opponent, right? right. Like, I'm not. It's. it's okay. I'm just saying. Like, it, I'm not saying it would go the same way, but I'm just talking. Like, there's evidence of there's a there's a direct there's a direct uh, contrast. You know, right? I mean. Look, I, Notre Dame, unless um, uh, apparently unless they're playing at Michigan at night in the rain, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, they, they're they're a very good pass. I mean, that's just true, right? Like, are, are you more afraid of what? I mean, have you been watching what uh, what USC's been doing with with Keaton Slovis throwing the ball? Mm-hmm. And look, I, you know, I understand that Oklahoma is more of a running team, and that's fine. Um, but I, that, I welcome that to be honest with you. Like I, like I, I want them to be running as much as they want. Um, and you know, I, you know, they gave up 41 points to Iowa state. They, yeah. they gave up, they gave up a lot of points to a lot of teams. It's not just Iowa state. So, I mean, they sure. gave up a lot. They, they were getting run 63 off the field against Baylor. Sure. They were given run off the field against Baylor. Yeah. With the so, backup, like, right? Twice exactly. they were getting run off yes. the field twice, right? So, you know, they they they've shown vulnerabilities on defense. They've shown vulnerabilities on offense. I mean, you know, I, I agree with they would probably be favored, but it would be like three points. Yeah, yeah. Baylor's I, Baylor's I, passing statistics when they played Oklahoma that second game, where Oklahoma needed the one thirty to twenty three. Baylor almost won that game, and they went nine of twenty-seven passing for two hundred and thirty yards. That's like Tony Rice numbers. Yeah, it's like it's like Tony Rice numbers. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Oklahoma and Big Twelve offenses in general are dependent on missed tackles, 
And Notre Dame doesn't miss tackles. That's one thing that they have been consistently able to do since 2017, and that is wrapping up and not missing tackles. And if you watch any Big 12 games consistently, you'll see that all of their big plays are dependent on broken coverage or a missed tackle. And Notre Dame, when you watched them against Iowa State, and Iowa State, this was the greatest Iowa State offense that they've ever had in the history of Matt Campbell's tenure there. And they couldn't score a touchdown. So, I mean, I, I don't know. Um, I think that the conventional wisdom is that we have watched uh, three outstanding teams this year, uh, really elite teams, and that would be LSU, Clemson, and Ohio State. Um, I'm not sure who you put in there in the fourth that gives LSU a game. I, was there anybody that you guys saw in another bowl that you thought, wow, I'd like to see them matched up against LSU. I think that would have been much, more, much better of a game. No. no. <laughs> All right. Uh, I've, ne- I've, never, I've never seen anything like their team. No, it's the greatest football. It's the great Joe Burrow is the greatest college football quarterback I have ever seen. It is the greatest season I've seen a college football quarterback ever play. He has been absolutely transcendent at the position. I've never seen anything like it. And the receivers, uh, Jordan Jefferson has been uh, among some of the best. I mean, his ability to get open and just catch everything. I I don't I can't recall a drop that he's had. It's been, yeah, yeah. I was listening they, to. They, Oh, go ahead, Greg. Go. Well, I was just going to say they they what did they have? Sixty three points. Sixty three, and their yeah, best yeah, running yeah. back was Hamstrung, who is a weapon their in the past. Running back was Hamstrung, and the guy who won the Bolitnikov for the best receiver in college football caught two passes. Yeah, for like sixty yards or something. And this is like they didn't have their best running back, and their and their best receiver didn't do anything. They scored sixty three points. Yeah, yeah, it, it was. It was quite a performance, and I, I was listening to uh, Stu and Bruce on the Audible, and they were talking about, you know, they were just sort of teasing their what they'll be talking about next week, which is like, uh, what, how does Clemson game plan? And they were just like, hope for drops, you know, because I, 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 it's just it's like watching an artist paint. You don't get the sense that Joe Burrow knows how to miss a throw anymore. You know, it just it's uh, it's it's amazing how he puts it on his receiver so well. Uh, and sometimes in really tight windows. He had that back yeah. shoulder throw to Jefferson. I think it was touchdown number four or five. I don't know. He <laughs> scrambled out and he threw a laser from 48 yards back shoulder. And I'm, I mean, we're all, I'm, I'm watching it with my wife's family and we're all just cackling at it because it's like, how is this man? Like, yeah, it was, Cincinnati Bengals are going to be a very lucky football team next year. It's one of those things where you're watching and you're thinking, like, is he on steroids? And then you think, oh, that's not how steroids work. Like, 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 there's no, like, there's no cheat to this. Like, it's just incredible. Like, that's all it is. It's just amazing. Um, My feeling is that if if you are a a college football fan, in addition to being a Notre Dame fan – that this this experience has been very enjoyable because you're watching somebody get run out of the building, but it, for once it's not your team, <laughs> you know, and uh, and you can just kind of appreciate the beauty of of what LSU's offense is able to to do. Um, and to be honest with you, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing if Clemson has any answers. If anybody's got answers, it's got to be Clemson. But I I just you look. Everyone wrote off Clemson last year. I remember everyone saying, "Oh, I, I've got Alabama." 
you know, um, a lot of smart people were wrong about that. So I never count out Clemson, but at the same time, I just, I don't know what the game plan is. It's like you said, hope for drops. Yeah. No, this is what it is. It's, it's the whole, it's the whole Patriots against the Rams thing. You have to, you have to punish their receivers and hold them and hope that the refs, um, kind of move. Can't call everything. Yeah. They just kind of move what's allowable. Like they just start saying, okay, this amount of contact is going to be fine. And it's got to be like super egregious for us to call it. And maybe you get like three or four, but if you can disrupt them enough, because look, they throw the ball all the time. So if you can't, if they, if they get a little frustrated, then he starts kind of pressing. And then it's like, Oh, like, cause look, he takes a lot of, Shots. Like deep shots. And he takes a lot of deep shots to guys who are kind of covered, but like he puts the ball in such good places, like they can come up with a catch. But if he gets pressing to the point where it's like, ah, I want to try to find something maybe a little bit more sure, he holds the ball a little bit longer, then the rush can get there. Then you get frustrated and you're like, oh, we're going to blow it. And then you like kind of get in your head. Like that's what you're hoping for. But if Clyde Edwards Alaire is healthy, <laughs> Um, that certainly changes the complexion of a game because he's a guy that Florida tried to do that same thing. And then he just went 13 for 134 and two touchdowns and they blew, you know, the doors. It was uh, Burrow's worst game, the Florida game was. Uh, but Clyde Edwards Alaire went for 13 and 134 and they he got the two touchdowns and they were able to, you know, blow him off, uh, blow him off the field. So I'm sure Brent Venables will have something up his sleeve um, and Trevor Lawrence is going to play out of his mind and it's going to, to be, I don't know what our four straight fantastic uh, national championship game. There was a run where we weren't getting good ones. Um, but I, well, last I think year was lopsided, right? It was yeah, four, last year. Oh yeah, that's right. Last 44, year. 16 or whatever it was. It was, yeah. Cause Alabama were lost worse than Notre Dame. Right. Um, you know, I, this I, look, I, I think LSU's great, and I, it, it would make a lot of sense from a great story to to cap off a Heisman winning campaign with a national championship, and you know something for Coach O, which I think is is a good story too. But uh, you know, I'm I'm very attracted to this. Like Clemson has won whatever it is forty straight when they come into Notre Dame Stadium next year. Uh, I, I kind of like, like that narrative too. Uh, although <laughs> right now I feel like Notre Dame is, does not have the, the uh, personnel to, to match up with, with Clemson. Um, so that's going to be a rough one, but you know, look, November's a long time away. So I, at the very least, I'm going to enjoy the hell out of the game. Uh, which is what, is it Monday night? Uh, mon- well, next. not this next Monday night. Um, oh. Yeah, you're hoping for a uh, 1957 Notre Dame, Oklahoma. And I had this conversation with my wife today. Um, right? It was uh, when Notre Dame ended the, the Oklahoma streak, the, the 57th streak. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I had this conversation with my wife today about how I was kind of – she doesn't want to see Clemson win uh, just because Clemson's getting very, very boring. Uh, they're the new Alabama. But, uh, I, yeah, I kind of want to see a streak. I kind of want to see Notre Dame end the streak. That's good pub. So I'm, I, I want to back up for a second. You had a conversation with your wife where she actually had an opinion about this thing. She didn't give you the glazed over far away look because that's the one I get from my wife when I talk about college football. 
No, my wife. Um, so uh, she puts up with a lot of uh, a lot of my um, nerdier hobbies. Football is not one of them uh, <laughs> because she is very much a Notre Dame football fan. Um, it's the, the the reason we're we're married. That we actually started dating on um, October twelfth, two thousand and three. And you have to understand that my wife is was born and raised just outside um, Pittsburgh. So all of her cousins, her father's an alumnus of Notre Dame. Um, I used to carpool with Joe Montana back in the day, but that's another story. But so <laughs> she uh, she grew up in – all of her cousins are Pitt fans. So on October 11th, 2003, the University of Notre Dame played Pitt, and that was the game that Julius Jones set the single Rampers. season – 262, was it? 262 yeah. set the single season rushing record, and wouldn't you know it, the very next day, I started dating my now wife. Wow. Uh, so, Greg, uh, did your wife have bandwidth for uh, for Notre Dame football, college football talk, or does she just kind of uh, pretend like she's listening and and sort of give you the uh huh? Um, we can talk about it. I not the the streak. <laughs> it has to be a little bit more like topical to something that's like current, like very right. current. Um, but like if there's a game going on, for example. Um, but yeah. She, she she's not going to listen to me talk about how I want Clemson to win because I want to end the streak. And uh, although I will say just to get on that, and this is off my wife, but um, I do have a feeling about that game. It is super poly, like Pollyanna, like rose colored glasses. I, okay. I, I do have a sneaky feeling about that game. Okay. You want to share it with us or you just want to hold on? I just to it? do. Like, I just, I just think that, I just think that it's time. It feels like it's time. Greg, which one of Chris Tyree's 10 touches in that game is going to <laughs> impress you the most? <laughs> Good for so, you, Brandon. Nice callback. Nice callback. In, in, in my opinion, his, his eighth touch. <laughs> the 65 yard of the house. Yeah. Uh, no, his eighth touch is going to be a um, a draw play up the middle on third and eight. Oh, so you're saying a little Sierra Wood, Oklahoma? Is that what we're getting here? No, no, no. It's going to be it's 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 going to be later in the game because it's his eighth touch. So his eighth touch is going to be a draw up the middle on third and eight when Notre Dame is already up three from like the uh, the Clemson twenty one and. And Notre Dame's going to be up three. It's going to put them up 10 in the fourth quarter. And that's going to be when we all figure out, like, oh, my God, this is actually going to happen. Yeah, so, yeah, it's I, that Sierra Wood. Do you remember Oklahoma 2012 where Sierra Wood oh, takes the, the draw? They were up three, and then it blew the doors open in the, very, the fourth quarter. Very, very much remember. Oof. Wait, wait, wait. What game? It was the uh, 2012 Oklahoma. It was Sierra Wood, uh, right? It was the, the it was, game it in Norman. The, it was the first quarter. Was it the first quarter? I thought it was in the yeah. fourth. No, that was uh, Theo Riddick. And he was the one that housed the one in the, the fourth? Yeah, to make it 30 to 13. Greg, I think you had a tweet the other day, and if it wasn't you, then, then I'm going to embarrass myself. But, you know, you were saying something along the lines of you were at a holiday party and somebody said something really general to you like, yeah, hey, you're named quarterback, huh? And you were just like, well, how deep do you want to get into this, right? Yeah. Yeah. 
It's a big problem in my life. <laughs> it's it, it's it's a it's a curse of of being too uh, locked into the program that you really can't have conversations that are like surface level conversations no. unless you, unless you unless you uh, think about it ahead of time and go okay well this guy just wants to make a 5 second conversation so i just need to be like yeah he's pretty good <laughs> yeah he's good no it's 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 a problem because i honestly and i was thinking about this i i, I honestly hate it when people ask me like who i follow cuz i it's just like you know, oh, do you like you like uh, football? Yeah. Who's your team? Uh, Notre Dame. Oh, okay. And hope and I hope it just ends there. Right. But then if it ends like they go, so so, how was their season this year? And it's just like, oh my god, <laughs> I can't just say it's okay. Now I have to go through the whole thing. And it's like, well, you know, the Georgia game and then uh, Michigan, that really pissed me off. And then, but then, you know, the six straight wins. Let me tell you a little something about Navy, okay? And so <laughs> then it's just like, you got to get into the AAC, 11 and 2, that whole thing. Like, please just, everyone just leave me alone about yeah, Notre Dame. I, I was very excited about Navy winning, but I, I, you know, the other teams really haven't had such a great showing. And Boston College lost today, Virginia lost. Uh, a couple of days ago, Louisville won. Louisville won. Yeah, yeah. We got Louisville won. Vatek uh, lost. Yeah. So uh, it hasn't it hasn't been great. Uh, Michigan lost. Michigan has sure been great. Did. Showing uh, Georgia won. Um, yeah. Has been a so-so showing for teams that play Notre Dame this year, in, in terms of their bowl performances. But uh, we are at about an hour and twenty minutes, and that is plenty for our listeners. Uh, gentlemen, I thank you for being on tonight and I give you an opportunity to, uh, to say one final thing. If you'd like, if you'd like to plug, uh, where you, people can read your stuff, that'd be great. Um, because I haven't done that for either one of you yet. So, uh, let's start with our guest, Greg fire away. Uh, yeah, I'm at, uh, uhnd.com at Greg 2126 on Twitter. Um, I think one final thing, if people are like, just going to search me out, I'm going to go heavy on the Kyle Hamilton content. Um, <laughs> that's my whole shtick. I'm Kyle Hamilton's number one fan. I am the president of his fan club. I have an endorsement from his mother. Okay. Oh, wow. She, she okay. said it was fine. She said uh, okay. it was fine. So that's good. All right. It's kind of like it's all in fun, right? I'm not a like creepy weirdo. I just <laughs> like him. Okay. <laughs> Because he's like great with Corey Holmes. I get it. I get it. Yeah. Yes. It's fine. But that's what you're going to get. You're going to, and especially now that it's the off season, a lot of heavy Kyle Hamilton content. So be okay. ready for that. Happy New Year, everybody. Go Irish. 2020. We're taking down Clemson. <laughs> Perfect, Brandon. Last final thoughts. Uh, yeah. So you can read my stuff at uh, onefootdown.com. Um, my final thought is my favorite. It's part of the sport of football, and that is the most important stat is the turnover margin. So far in bowl games this year, teams who have won the turnover margin are 22-9-5, and five, five being a push. So mm. teams that have won the turnover margin so far in the bowl season have won 22 games. Teams that, that have lost right. the turnover margin have actually won nine games. Oh, uh, I see saying five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For the for the turnover margin, I see. I see. What yeah. You're so okay. so there's been five times five bowl games where it was a push. So we gotcha. throw those ones in the dumpster. 
But uh, teams that have won the turnover margin are 22-9 and this bowl season, which goes to show you that the most important stat in the sport of football is turnover margin. Perfect. And you can follow Brendan on Twitter at VeryPiraty. Um, he's, he's good for, um, a lot of good pictures. The Photoshop skills are on point. In fact, I saw, I believe I saw in the DMS, a, uh, a new cover art for the untitled, uh, Notre Dame USC podcast. Do you think you can convince Michael to, uh, to use that instead of whatever, uh, clip art he put together seven years ago, Greg, Brendan, Brendan very generously sent that over. And that is absolutely, we are definitely using that. No question. Perfect. So you can listen to Greg and, and, and his USC friend and fan, Michael Muto, on the Untitled USC, uh, Notre Dame USC podcast, which is available wherever you get uh, probably this podcast. So check them out. That's always a good, always a good listen to. Uh, we could have probably talked for 15 more minutes about the dumpster fire that is USC recruiting, uh, but we'll leave that. <laughs> but we will leave that for the other podcast. So. Um, with that, I will, I will echo Greg and say happy new year to all of our listeners and go Irish. <laughs>